Let's get started. Let's get right into the sermon this morning. We, last week, we started a new series called The Armor of God. So every week during the summer, we're going to be kind of marching through the, all the aspects of the armor of God. And uh, last week was, was awesome. It was a little challenging because we, we talked. If you missed it, you can go on our website and look. But we basically, we talked about the enemy. And why do we wear the armor of God? Because we have an enemy. We wouldn't need to wear armor if no one was throwing arrows at us, all right? So that's why we wear the armor of God. So it was, it was about the why. And now here's all this, this, this Sunday, I, I believe and I pray and I hope that this is an encouraging message for you, that it's an uplifting message for you, that it lightens your load this morning and it reminds us all who we are in Jesus. Uh, let's pray real quick before we get started. Father, Oh, we love you, God, and uh, we just thank you that you're with us. You're with us in worship. You're with us in word. You're with us uh, throughout the day, God. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. And uh, God, I pray that you'll give every single one of us in here ears to hear what you want to say this morning. God, I pray that not a word would be lost on any of us, God, including myself, Lord. Be with us, Jesus. And I pray, God, that as we leave here, we're different. We're different, Lord, than when we came in. Because when we're in your presence, God, how can we not change? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, cool. So um, the armor of God, it says in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 14, Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So the very first thing that Paul tells us to put on when it comes to the armor of God is the belt of truth, which is a little weird when you think about it at first, because this is where my mind went. When was the last time, I'm, I'm picturing in the movies and all that stuff, the hallways, you know, the armors with guys with a, and eventually, you know, if it's a ghost movie, one of those comes to life, you know, because there's always got a Scooby-Doo style, you know. Um, but I'm thinking about these full armors, right? I'm thinking, when was the last time I saw a belt on an armor of God? If, I mean, we have a picture here of, I mean, here, so I Googled armor of God and what is missing from this armor is a belt, right? I mean, where would a belt go on the armor of, of any armor? Well, I'm glad we all asked that question because where the belt goes is underneath the armor, right? So Paul tells us to put on the belt of truth before putting on the rest of the armor because if we don't have the belt of truth on, then the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, all those things don't really mean much. They're not effective if we don't have the truth. It's like a gun with no bullets. Same thing. We, we, we have to surround ourselves with the truth before all of those other things that Paul tells us to put on can come into action, right? It's, you know, a dull sword doesn't do much. And so we have to put on the belt of truth first. It's underneath the armor. And so if we're being told to put on the belt of truth, it's probably a good idea to know what truth is. And I believe a lot of us walk around a lot of times with not a belt of truth, but with a belt of lies. And so today we're going to put on the belt of truth. And we're going to come to remembrance about what truth is. And I'm going to make it very simple for you. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what is truth? The truth is God. God is truth. God, truth doesn't like take part with God. Truth seeps off God like sap from a tree. Okay, it is the, God is the source of truth. Okay, truth isn't a characteristic of God or anything like that. It is, God is truth. You see what I'm saying? 
That is where truth comes from. It is birthed out of God. And when Jesus says this in John 14, 6, we need to understand that it goes way back than before then. Jesus isn't, isn't making some brand new claim here. Like all of a sudden, here I am. I am, the word has become flesh and I'm dwelling among you. And so now I am truth. Okay, he's saying that he is the truth and always has been the truth. Always. And I want to look at four very, very, very powerful words in the Bible that we often overlook, that we often just kind of read and boom, boom, we're on to the next thing because of the story that takes place after it. If you were raised in the church, you've heard it a million times probably. But again, it is incredibly power and it speaks just, just, I don't know, multitudes of truths, okay? And it's got so many layers to it. But it's Genesis 1, verse 1. And it says, in the beginning, God. Boom. Right there. In the beginning, God. So truth started with God. He authored everything. Everything. So if he is the writer of it, then he is the truth of it. Everything comes from him. In the beginning, God. And when whatever you're walking through in life, whatever it might be, we need to understand that in the beginning, God. Okay? That's a huge statement. And so what I want to do is read through Genesis 1 and study in the beginning God and what happened in the beginning God. So let's look, read with me in Genesis 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. Verse 9, and God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give them light on earth, to govern the day, the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. I promise I'm getting somewhere with this, okay? Trust me. Verse 20, and God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. 
All right, we shift gears a little bit here, okay? This is where something it changes just a little bit in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with its seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made and it was very good. So here we are in the beginning God. And what we read here is not just a creation story. It's so much more than that. What we are reading here, what we are seeing here, is ultimate power and ultimate authority on full display. Because when God speaks, what do we read? It then said, he said, and it was so. And God said this, and it happened. And God said this, and it was good. Except for one part. It says, then God said, we'll make mankind in our image. And it was very good. Truth is God is all-powerful in all authority is under him. He has authored everything. And in all of that, he chose you and me to be created in his image. And upon that, he says, it is very good. The truth is that when he looks at you, it is very good. The truth is that our God, when he speaks things, it is so. Everything obeys his words. So how about we pay attention to his words? Amen? Because when he speaks, things happen. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in, let me see, where are we? Uh, 25. says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I think this is an interesting few verses that Isaiah writes here because he asks the question in God's voice, who can compare to me? Nobody. Nobody can compare to God. Nothing can compare to God. Because God didn't just say, hey, I'm going to take this mountain over here and I'm going to lift it up and I'm going to put it here. And I'm going to take the moon from this place and I'm going to put it in this place. No, those things weren't there. They did not exist. You said, hey, I'm, well, I'm going to go climb the mountain. What's a mountain? Never heard of that before. God invented them. And so nothing can compare to him. But check this out. The closest thing that possibly can is not a mountain, it's not a sky, it's not a sea. It's you and me. Why? Why can I say that? Because he tells us that we're created in his image. That's the only thing in the entire Bible that says is, is, is created in his image. Us. Us. 
What does that say about what God thinks of us? Probably a lot more than you, what you think about yourself. I was talking in between services with someone. I said, if we only could see ourselves the way God sees us, our potential and ability would be limitless. The problem is we care more and look more on the creation than we do the creator. We get in ruts and we get in doubt and we get in fear. Why? Because we're not looking at the guy who spoke it all out, the God who, who spoke things into existence, the creator, the one who has all power and authority and who is all truth. We look at everything else. And he is saying in his words, the same words that spoke things into existence, that were created in his image. Isaiah says in the same verse, let's look back at it. It says, he who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Listen, if God is calling the stars in place by name, he's saying, you go there, you go there. I don't want you over there. Hey, you right there. And he's doing that over and over again. And he says, not one of them is missing. I want to say to you all right now, you are not missing from God's sight. He sees you and he knows you by name. Do not let the enemy try and tell you that God has forgotten you, that he doesn't hear your prayers, that he doesn't see your plight or what you're going through. If he feels that way about the stars, if that's the truth, how much more us we're made in his image. You hear me? We have to start putting on that belt of truth, which is God's words about us. Everything else is a lie. And until we put that on, all the armor is useless. So let's put it on and let's start seeing ourselves the way that God sees us because we are valued by him. We are loved by him. How do I know that? Because as the story unfolds in the Bible, after you get past Genesis 1 and Adam and Eve are in the garden, what happens? We make a mess of things. And the whole Old Testament is just a giant story, really, of us just messing up over and over again. This amazing creation that God has given to us that everything is under our power and authority. Read it again. Animals, vegetation, all of it. We mess it up. And God doesn't say, okay, done. Hit the reset button. Let's try this again. Some new people, a new version, Adam and Eve 2.0. Maybe they won't sin and they'll enjoy what I created for them instead of messing it up. We'll just wipe everybody out. Yeah, he did the flood, but then he gave life again. We're going to try. No, he, he stays patient with us. Why? Because he loves us. How do I know that? Where do we see that? We see it in Matthew chapter 27. Read with me, verse 27. This shows us what God thinks of us. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. This is the God who created the universe that they're doing this to. Verse 31, after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. 
And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you were the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants. For he said, I am the son of God. All this is happening. Because when God saw what he had made and it was very good and it turned very bad, he didn't just give up on us. Why? Because he loves us. And so in all of that, he said, here's what we're going to do with the mess that you've made and the sin that's in this world. I'm not going to wipe you out. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for you because I love you. And in Genesis chapter one, we see God speak, right? And things happen. Things are put into place. The sky, the moon, the sun, the animals, all of it. Because he's speaking it. Now, in the moment where we need him the most, and God knows it, since Jesus, and what does Jesus do? He doesn't say a word. All that is going on, all the mockery, the beating, the nailing to the cross, God, who could have spoken the word and all of it could have been over, he could have been off the cross, made whole, kept his mouth shut for us. That is power. That is authority. That is truth that he stayed on the cross, even though with a word, he could have stopped it all for us. And again, the story does not end there. Matthew 28, the next chapter, just a few verses later, Mary Magdalene's going to the tomb to see Jesus put, you know, whatever. And it says in verse five, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. True power, true authority is not just creating things into existence. True power and true authority and love is conquering death. And here's the most amazing part about this whole thing. We've seen Elijah in the Old Testament raise someone from the dead. We've seen Jesus do it. The disciples do it later. Jesus, in all those instances, someone is praying over a dead body that God would do something. In Jesus's resurrection, there's no one doing that. But full authority and full power and full truth raises itself from the dead. You know what I'm saying? That is power. That is authority to be able to raise yourself from the dead. In that same power, in that same authority, in that same truth lives in us when we accept Jesus as Savior. But we have to wear the belt. We can't stick it in the drawer. We got to put it on. And we got to know that it's true, that this is what Jesus thinks about us, that this is God's power and this is his authority and everything is under him. Bible says that heaven is God's throne and the earth is his footstool. 
That is his power. We got to stop looking at the creation and start looking at the creator. Because when we do, here's what happens. What do we do when we do that? Well, we stand up. So why don't we stand up, all of us together right now? Romans 8, 31. Paul asked this question about everything that we're talking about this morning. It's a simple question, but it's a big one. He says this. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? What is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus' love for us. What do we say? What do we do in response to Jesus' truth and that he loves us so much that he died on a cross for us in the truth that God is the full authority and has full reign over everything and he is the author of everything. What do we do? What do we say? Do we put on the belt or do we leave it in the drawer? You ever notice what happens if, if you try and go into battle and your pants are around your ankles? You ain't gonna get very far. You're gonna trip over yourself and you're gonna fall face first into the dirt and you're probably gonna lose whatever fight you're in. We put on the belt of truth and we cinch it around our waist and we're ready to start fighting. We're ready to stand. We're ready to put on the armor and go into whatever battle God has put in front of us with the knowledge and the truth that God is with us and he is the full authority. He's the one that speaks things and it was so. He's the one that speaks things and it was good. It's the enemy that, that tells lies and it is bad and it is reckless and it is fearful and it is anxiety and stress and suicide and doubt. That's the enemy. Jesus in our ear with the truth wrapped around us says, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'm for you, I'm for you, I'm for you. So therefore, what do we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It is God. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one condemns. We'll get back to that in a second. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. Let me tell you something. I believe, I said this in the first service and I believe it today in the second as well that there are those of us in here that are walking in all sorts of condemnation, guilt and shame. Even when you walked in this morning, maybe you even had a hard time getting up and coming to church because of the condemnation and the guilt that you're walking in. I'm telling you right now, that is not truth. That is not God. He says right here, there is no condemnation in Christ. It says at the beginning of Romans, Paul writes that, you know what is condemned? Our sin is condemned, but we are not condemned. You know why? Because our sin doesn't identify us. We are not the sin that we commit. We are made in God's image. We are so valuable that the God who created the heavens and spoke a word, kept his mouth shut to stay on the cross for us. 
Our sin does not identify who we are. And you need to know that this morning. That is not how God sees you. You might see yourself like that, but it is not how God sees you. And you need to stop. Stop beating yourself up because of this, that thing that you keep doing over and over. You're just like, God, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. The last thing you need to do is withdraw from him. Dig in and know the truth. The belt of truth says that is not who you are. And God will rid you of that. But stop trying to do it in your own strength. Just go to him and say, God, I'm sorry. Here's what I've been doing. I repent. And what happens is he starts to grab hold of your heart in those moments. And it might be every single day that you have to do that for a year or five years even. But in those times where you start repenting and just giving it to God, he's doing a work in you. And all of a sudden, you're going to wake up one day and that thing that you were struggling with, it's in the rearview mirror. It's gone. There's no condemnation in Jesus. You need to be set free this morning. Verse 37 says, no. In all things, everyone say all things. All things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not just on Wednesdays, not just on Sundays, not when we had a really good quiet time or when that, that favorite song of ours came on the radio. In all things, in all situations, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because Jesus is in us and he is the full power and authority. And when he speaks, things happen. It's not just seasonal. It's every single day. We are more then conquerors, that is the belt of truth. Let's put it on, church. Verse 38 says, this is Paul saying, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says, I'm convinced. I am convinced that nothing can separate me from God's love. Nothing, no hardship, no trial, no season, no pandemic. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. But you know what Paul says? He says, I am convinced. Paul was convinced, are you? Because I can't convince you. I can speak about it till the cows come home, but ultimately it's a decision that you have to make. Paul's testimony is one where he went after the Christians. He wanted them dead, arrested, women, children. He didn't care, all of them. And then God intervened and God spoke and changed his life like that. And he says, I'm convinced because I, I know who I used to be. He doesn't hide from who he used to be. He looks back at who he used to be and who he is now and says, yeah, yeah, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. So rather than trying to run from the things that we've done, let's stand on them. Let's stand on those things and make it our testimony so that we too can say, yeah, that's my former self, but I've been born again and I'm a new creation and now I am convinced that God is for me and I'm gonna put on the belt of truth and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold that shield and I'm gonna put on the helmet and the breastplate and I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna fight because I know the truth that my God is for me. 
And he is the full power. He is the full authority. And he is the truth. There's no option B. Say to all y'all this morning, you were made in his image. You were made in his image. And it's not just that, but he died for you. He was raised again for you. And when we mess up, we're not condemned. We're saved. Sin is condemned. The enemy is condemned. But Jesus has won the victory. And he's in us. But we have to put on the belt. Stop looking at the creation and start looking at the creator who is full power and authority. This morning, we're gonna take communion as we end our service. The, I'll tell you right now, they're a little tricky to open. <laughs> so do your best. But we're gonna do communion just right now, right where we're at. The Bible says, Jesus told the disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. And here's the tricky thing about remembering something. When we remember something, we, it, it's something that was in the past. If you're looking for a communion, there's some in the back table. You can go get one And if you didn't get one. But Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. But what that means is not remember that one time at that one place, at that one dinner when they, when they took the bread and the cup. Jesus is saying, do this in remembrance of me as in do this knowing what I did for you, but also what I am doing for you and what I am going to do for you. Because Jesus's miracle on the cross was not a one-time thing. It's in every day of our life, every second of the day that allows us to be more than conquerors. But if we don't remember our God, if we don't put on the belt, then it's pretty tough to be a conqueror because what we start to do is do it in our own flesh and our own strength. And we find ourselves just messing it up all the time. And we wonder, so Jesus is saying, do this in remembrance of me and what I did for you and how I love you so that these words that Paul writes can come alive. So remember the creator and how much I love you. And when I saw you made, it wasn't good. It was very good. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you have made us more than conquerors. God, you look on us and you love us. You don't see what we see. You don't see the sin. You see your children. And God, I pray for those this morning that are walking in that guilt and shame and just been beating themselves up like crazy, believing the lie that they're failures and that they're never gonna get it right. God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would break that in them, God, right now. Father, that you would silence those lies of the enemy because that's exactly what they are. Your word proves it. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we remember you every day and that we would keep that belt of truth on, Lord, as we march forward. God, we thank you for your body, as we read about earlier, that was broken and beaten. You were spit at, mocked. And God, you didn't say a word. You stayed there for us. We see what your words can do, and you didn't say a word. Father, we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for enduring and taking that beating for us so that we can be more than conquerors. So that we can face every situation, every trial that we're in with the belt of truth that says that if you are for us, who could possibly be against us? Let's take the bread.
Father, we thank you for the blood that was poured out on that cross, on that hill, Lord. That blood that washes us clean every day. God, we talked about the things that we keep messing up, the things that we don't want to do and we keep doing them. God, that's not a license to just keep on doing it, Lord. What it is, is an invitation to come to you and repent and say, I'm sorry, God. And we know that when we do that, the blood of the lamb washes us clean every day. God, we thank you for that, Lord, for your blood that washes us, washes us clean every single day. Your mercies are new every morning. God, I pray, Lord, that we would have a repentant heart and we don't have to hide our mess ups from you. We don't have to hide our shame from you. It's how we get better. It's how we grow. It's how we stop doing those things. So teach us, Lord, to value this cup that we're about to take. Not to run from it, but to run to it. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us, God. Like the stars in the sky, God, you didn't miss a one of us when you stayed on that cross. You saw us all. Thank you for that. Let's take the cup. Father, we love you, Jesus. Oh, we love you. God, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, when we just, it's like we know the truth, but we don't put it on. We know it for everybody else around us, but we don't know it for ourselves. Help us, Lord, to wear that belt of truth, even when everything around us says opposite, that we would stand in the truth that you are God and you are power, you are authority, and you love us and you are for us and we are more than conquerors. Help us going forward, God. I pray that this, God, let us not walk out of here and forget this message in 10 minutes or tomorrow or the next day, God. Put this deep in our hearts. Root it deep in us, God. Help us to see us the way you see us. Help us to remember that every attack of the enemy is a failure because you've already won. We love you, Lord, and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. I love y'all. You can uh, throw your little communion cups away. There's a trash can by Dave Swainy back there. Wave, Dave. There you are. Um, don't forget, you can drop your tithe, tithe off in the box in the back as well. Also, we have salt this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. If you want to join us, we'd love to have you. Jason's going to be bringing another great word. Y'all can be dismissed. Have a wonderful rest of your week.